You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, DIY Recording Guys, welcome everyone to another show. I'm your host, Vadim, from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Benjamin Hall from DreamWild Studio. How you guys doing? That was much better. We're getting better on that intro every yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> that was the best that we've ever had. It is. It was so smooth. I'm thinking like, that. I don't have to edit that one. That one's just going to go <laughs> go straight straight to the presses. That's awesome. I hope somebody in their car responded to, to us or to me saying, hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> yeah, I do like that. It's a nice personal touch. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're happy to be doing this again with you guys. How, how are you um, doing, Vadim? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. It's kind of a weird winter for us here in Philly. I don't know how you guys are having it, but like mostly this this past week has been like a spring week. It's been like in the 50s some days and sunny. People just like lose their minds. Like it's not that warm, but just like kids in shorts throwing footballs around. <laughs> it's just like people just go nuts. And I get it. You know, I, I also go outside and walk around. It's weird. You guys get the same thing over there? Pretty much. It's been it's been pretty rainy. Um but yeah, it's a really it's been a really mild winter. Like we'll get snow. Well, just last week we had like a snow squall and we just got covered in like four inches of snow. And then I think it was a day later it got into the forties and it was all completely gone. And there's get a lot of snow everywhere. typically in the winter? We we tend to because we're pretty close to Lake Erie, so we get okay. lake effect. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? A lot of snow? No. We, I mean, we typically get like one or two, no, we maybe two or three like decent snowfalls where you have to go out and shovel. And this year we haven't had any. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. It doesn't even feel like winter. Like somebody was asking me about going skiing or something. And I was like, what do you mean skiing? <laughs> There's no snow anywhere. <laughs> I know. I know. I didn't even, we have a resort pretty close to us in Pittsburgh and I didn't even I didn't even look to try to go this year because I knew the conditions would be so bad because it's warm. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is so sad because I love... Um, do you ski or snowboard? I snowboard. Yeah, that's the way to do it. You I too? snowboard too, yeah. yeah. Oh, all right, man. I'll have to that's do a little do DIY recording snowboard trip at some point. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get a group together from the rest of the listeners. That'd be great. That'd be yeah, great. Some, I'd love some that. winter when it's a real winter. Oh, you never know. You know what? Sometimes... Sometimes these winters come on late. I know, like, I don't remember which year it was, but sometimes it'll be, like, March and we'll get some good snow, so we'll yeah, see. Yeah, that's true. There's still there's some still some hope out there to, uh, you know, carve into the mountain a little bit. Yeah. But anyways, anyways, we digress. Everybody that doesn't care about snow sports just totally lost us. But thank you for sticking with us through our intro banter. Uh, what are we talking <laughs> about today, Vadim? Yeah, today, today we're going to talk about studio etiquette and how to prepare yourself for a session what to do going into a session, and then how to behave kind of during the session. And I think we're going to try to do this from both perspectives. So we'll try to do it from, you know, you're the, you're the artist going and being recorded. But because I think probably a lot of our listeners also are playing the engineer role in some cases, we'll also talk about it from the engineer's perspective. You know, what should you kind of have ready as an engineer? It'll tie a little bit into our episode, I think it was, what, episode six about workflow, so there might yeah. be a little bit of crossover there, but uh, a slightly different perspective. 
Yeah, I'm excited. Let's get into it. Let's do it. So let's start from the artist perspective, Ben. So you're, you're an artist and you're getting ready for your big recording day. What should you be doing even before the, even before the day of? That is a great question. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of a blog article I wrote that's on my website under, so if you go to dreamloudstudio.com and click on free resources, it's the final tab on the right. I have a blog article uh, that is all about how to go into a studio and have a great experience. So I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this uh, and then we can add on to it and stuff. But the first thing I'd say is we need to be rehearsed before going into the studio uh, or going into a recording environment. And I'll say this with the caveat of... um, when I was growing up, one of my favorite bands was Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I think I've mentioned on this podcast at least two or three times. So everybody probably knows by now. <laughs> love them. One of the things I loved about them, though, was uh, their live show and how uh, they did so much imp- improvisation in the songs. And every show that they played, there was different things in there that you'd never heard before. And I strongly feel like, I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like that's how they played um, in the recordings as well. They kind of went in there and had a loose idea of what they were playing for the song, but kind of left it open enough to play maybe some unique riffs every time. So let's say they knew what the chord structure of the arrangement was, but then they let Flea or John Frusciante or whoever was playing for them at the time do their funky riffs around those chords and just mm. kind of let them do whatever. So... I love that about that style, and when I was first learning how to do recording, I wanted to take that approach and not be too prepared when I went into recording environments, and I found out that that is almost always the wrong thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and to be to be uh, really honest, I think a lot of it was is that I just wasn't at the skill level of my heroes, and I wanted to I wanted to emulate them, but I wasn't either good enough of knowing my keys and being able to always ensure that I was going to play a correct note. I'm putting air quotes around correct notes. So what I mean by that is something in the key that sounds pleasant to the ear. Um, (laughs) But so I I would say in general, uh, if you're a band or if you're a singer songwriter or even a vocalist going into the studio, uh, you want to be able to play that song from front to back without making a mistake before going into the studio because you're going to have extra pressure on you to to perform. So if you can't do it without any mistakes when you're comfortable in your own environment or own house or whatever that might look like to you, or maybe it's the same exact spot if you're recording yourself, you just haven't hit that red button yet. But as soon as that red button goes on, it everything changes. You, you feel this added pressure to want to raise to the, um, to the event. So yeah, yeah. I would, I, I would just recommend knowing, knowing what you're doing. I think that's absolutely right. There's, there's an element there that you touched on that I want to reiterate, which actually I was talking to a guy who plays guitar and, um, a band that, um, you know, they, they were on like a national touring level and he was telling me that, they would never play a song unless live, unless all of them were just sick of it, right? Because they knew it through and through and they could play it in their sleep. And that's 
in part because of the nerves factor, right? When you get on stage, there's a bit of a nerves factor there. For me, the little playing that I did, it was, it was, a, it was a huge nervous factor. I and mean, the studio is kind of similar to that, right? Because yeah. in the studio, even more so than live, perhaps, you're under a microscope. So even if you're recording as a band, you're still going to be listening back to those takes really under a microscope. So you, you want to be well prepared because there is going to be that element of uh, a lot of pressure to get it right. And it's, you know, we're on the clock and everybody's waiting for me to get my guitar solo and so on. So yeah, there's... It's definitely important to be as well rehearsed as you can be. Now, if you have, if you're doing DIY recording and you're just recording yourself, that's maybe a different element to that because you may not be under the clock and have as much pressure, and you may still be working out your arrangements. But I think what we're talking about here is really that environment where you're going in with some other people into a recording situation, right? Yeah, and there's some element of time pressure, like. And that mm. might just be, we have to finish this by the end of the day. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Okay. So be rehearsed. What else? Yeah. I'll move on to the second one. Um, and I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this one. But I, uh, my second point is practice with a metronome. The reason that I say this is because I have a story to tell you. Uh, <laughs> when I was in my first serious band ever, this was... I was out of college and I felt like I was a pretty good bass player. And my first studio environment ever was traveling down to Atlanta, Georgia with a friend that had a home studio himself. And I, we were completely rehearsed. I thought I knew the parts. I was going to nail them. I went in and I laid down my bass tracks. And I think this might've been the first time that I had ever done this as well, but I laid down my bass tracks to nothing but a metronome click set to the BPM that we determined that the song And why was that? Was that a band decision or was that an engineer decision? I think it was a little bit of both because we hadn't, um, we didn't have a drummer in our band at the time. We were just, Ah. we were just a bass and a guitar and a vocalist. And we figured that, well, we'll just track the bass and the guitar to a click because it'll be even tighter and more to the grid than if we try to play to somebody else's human element. Because even Mm. a drummer, no matter how good they are, they're going to push back and forth on the beat a little bit. So we decided, let's just play to the click. So wait, so when when did the drums come for that that project? After the fact? Yeah, we wrote the drums on top of what we were doing and then we recruited a drummer to play in our band. So you, you had everything tracked to a click already and then you tracked the drums later? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which is kind of opposite, but also, this is a side note, but also that can be a fun way to do things too, because then the drummer can hear exactly where all the bass fills are and all the guitar uh, flourishes. So then they can play fills that maybe aren't going to cover up or complement those. Because I've had the opposite problem too, where you have a drummer that goes in and he's got all his pre-planned fills out, but maybe there's like a crazy drum fill with a lot of cymbal crashes right over top of an important vocal melody. So yeah, I, or, was, I could tell I could tell you're a bass player just listening to this. <laughs> a, a drummer really? a drummer would never say that. A drummer would say everybody else should play to my fills. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I'm I'm just saying, you know, you're part of a band. It's not a one man show. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think just in general, practicing to a metronome can give you a tighter performance. I, I mean, I think 
playing to a metronome is actually really tough. I think sometimes yeah. it's easier to play to a drum beat. And if you could if you could play tight to a metronome, you can play tight to a drum beat, right? I, I agree. Cases. Yeah, it's way tougher. And I also think too um, to finish to finish up my story. I heard the tracks back that I had just played, and in that moment, I seriously considered giving up playing bass because <laughs> it was it was so bad. I thought for sure, like I am right on time, and it was so off. I couldn't even believe it. Yeah. So. It's amazing, uh, to, yeah. It is amazing. And I think to take it a step farther, if you want to really be sure that you're going to play uh, to the beat really well, don't only practice with a metronome, but record yourself playing with a metronome and then listen to it back because that's the most objective you could possibly be. Because yeah. sometimes sometimes you can fool yourself uh, and while you're playing, you think you're really on, but totally. but you'll know for sure whenever it's played back. You'll you'll swear that the click changed. You'll swear that somebody messed with the tempo map. But it, yeah, it's really tough to play with a click track. That's true. Yeah. So that I, I think if you, as a band or singer songwriter, if you practice with a metronome before going in, like you're gonna have so much better of a time playing. Mm. Yeah, it's it's gonna be way better. All right, number three. So uh, I wrote down. Do some of your own pre-production before you get into uh, the recording environment. And maybe maybe we should have touched on that a little bit earlier. But what I mean by pre-production is flesh out your songs maybe a little bit more instead of just having, uh, okay, the drummer's doing this and the guitar guitar rhythm is playing this or this is this is the key that we're playing in. Maybe figure out some of those extra things too, like guitar swells or if there's going to be a lead, try to imagine mm. what you want the final product of the song to be and not just uh, of the singular part that you're playing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that that's going to tie into a bullet point I have later on, which is to have a plan. Um, you want to kind of know what parts you need to record for the day, yeah. how, how you know when you're done. Um, I actually had a session recently where... Um, we were doing it, we were tracking to a click, but the intro to the song had this little acoustic guitar kind of free free part that was, you know, it was only like 15 seconds long of just noodling, essentially. And I made a mistake, and I said, oh, we'll get that later, right? We'll get that at the end. And we recorded the whole thing, and we did guitars, vocals, we did all the instruments. And sure enough, I got a text like four hours after the session, the guy's like, oh, we forgot to do the intro. And I was like, man, you know, and this is why having a plan, having a checklist, knowing what parts yeah. you need to record. Uh, because again, you'll, you'll be kind of, you, you'll be a little bit under the gun. So you might forget. And having that uh, track list or checklist um, will be very helpful. And that goes along with what you're saying is have your pre-production in order. If you know you want some tambourine, write that down. Make sure you get those tambourine tracks. Yeah, and I think it's always it's always a good idea to record more than you need rather than than to be lacking and not have enough recorded. Good point. Yep. Yeah, so when in doubt and if there's time that's that's with the caveat of if there's time uh to finish everything you need to do. But if there's a debate between should we record this guitar part or not, just record it and you can make that decision later whether right. it actually makes it in or not. And, and to your point, that, that also goes to prioritization where, you know, make sure you get the important stuff down and also be aware of 
if you let's say you have to you might come to a point where you have to make a decision whether to extend the session or to reschedule it if you're going to do that you want to make sure that you've tracked all the things that should be tracked in one sitting in that sitting yeah. so you want to get all your amped guitar parts for example and then yeah if you got to do I'll say it again, the flute solo later, <laughs> maybe yeah, you can do that yeah. on another session. But having like a prioritization of like, okay, we want to do drums first or we want to do guitars first or whatever you're going to do, kind of have that plan in mind. That's a great idea. And I want to add on to that too, because there's definitely situations where you can do like a multi-tiered or phase approach to your recording sessions. Um, I've done this before where we go to like a more commercial space to do the drums in because the room sounds so amazing mm. and so if let's say hypothetically you're you want to record a three song ep uh but you only have a weekend or a couple days to do it why don't you make sure that you get all the drum tracks done first before moving on to anything else because once that session's up it's going to be a lot more money to book that time again versus maybe you can record all the bass and guitars in your in your home just with a di Exactly. And that way you'll have a consistent drum sound throughout the project because it was recorded on the same day in the same space with the same mic setup. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, my first studio experience I ever, well, I guess it wouldn't be first. It would be second or third experience I ever had. Uh, I went for two weeks out to New Jersey, um, basically just to watch our vocalist and drummer record. I didn't do any recording because we wound up not needing to. We weren't sure if I'd have to redo any parts or not, but it oh, you attract up, them. Uh, you attract some of your parts in advance. Yeah, and we weren't sure if that was going to be the pre-production or the final parts. But the engineer said, "Hey, these are great. I'm just going to use those." So, while I'm not having to do any tracking, and I just gave my advice during the session. And <laughs> there's something about that that's not as fun as like getting in there and actually playing. But you know, that it goes back to your point of like prioritization. Mm. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, okay, point number four that I had on my checklist is pick an engineer that you know and trust. And this this can be pretty obvious, but I didn't want to glaze over it too quickly because at the end of the day, uh, who you pick to record, record you, it comes down entirely to how they hear music and how they get you as an artist or a band is going to come out on the other end of the recording process. And don't don't just look and try to find a studio that's the cheapest or the <laughs> one that's the most or the one that's the most convenient because I think in some situations people can forget that it's so much more than just the gear. It, it, you know, this two different people with the same gear can give you vastly different results. Sure. So so I think it's way more important if you're picking somebody else to do your recording for you, just make sure it's somebody that you actually like and can hang out with. Like that's that's a very big mm. angle of this as well. If you're going to be spending a lot of time with them, you got to make sure that, you know, they're not a jerk or you actually like hanging out with them because that can be a real strain. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> a lot of fun. A lot of times you're in the studio for a long day. So you don't don't want somebody who's going to grind your gears. What are What are some strategies, Ben, for for going through that kind of vetting process and figuring out whether someone is a good fit for you. Reach out to them on their website. If they have some contact, like either call them, email them, and see what that interaction and response is like. If it seems like they don't have enough time for you or all they want to talk about is just, you know, the details of payment, 
then maybe this isn't a good fit for you. Maybe they just see you as a number. Like I would want to see somebody who really cares about my music, about my songs and can maybe spell back to me what my vision is without me mm. necessarily even even telling them what it is or saying, oh, I really get you. This reminds me, these songs remind me of this artist and this person. And so you can start to get a vibe for, do they truly get me or do they just want an easy paycheck? That's kind of, that's kind of a red flag, I guess I, I would say I look for. That's definitely a red flag. I think most engineers, uh, especially if you're going in for a long session, like something like an album, most engineers should be willing to you know, give you the time of like a 30-minute Skype call or something like that. Honestly, if they're not, that's kind of a red flag. And then during that call, I mean, it should be, you're looking for basic personality matches. You know, can you, do you have a similar sense of, for communication, right? We always talk about how important communication is in the studio. Uh, are you able to understand clearly what the engineer is telling you? Do they seem to understand what you're telling them? And a big thing, like you said, is they should be able to tell your vision back to you. And really, in order for them to do that, the only way for them to do that is to ask you questions. If yeah. they're not asking you questions, if they're just prescribing, oh, yeah, you're going to come in, I'm going to set up this microphone, and then we're going to do that, then like, you know, how much are they really interested in conveying your message? So I would say those couple things try to speak in person and just see how how many questions they ask you and how well they seem to understand what you're going for i've got a perfect example of this so i i know a band from texas i'm friends with i won't say their name out loud and they have great sounding material out there now but one of their earlier eps they sent to me uh and the message i got in an email was hey ben we recorded these tracks at a studio in new mexico and there's something there's something wrong with them, but I don't know what it is. Can you tell me what it is? I'm like, oh man, what does that mean? And so I took a listen and nothing was lined up. I mean, this is metal hard rock and nothing was lined up to a click track. So it sounded sloppy. The tones just sounded really cheap and thin. The vocals weren't tuned. So it just sounded like a completely unfinished project or or pre-production and through asking like how did the session go or how did they choose this uh, studio to go with and they had looked at the studio's website and known some of the bands that went through there and heard their products and thought it was really good so we should just go ahead and choose them mm. and I, I think that that's an easy mistake that can happen sometimes just assuming that well this band we really look up to went there and they got a good product, so we'll automatically also get the same level of product. And it was very apparent that whoever produced them, recorded and mixed them, did not care about how the product sounded at all. Yeah, yeah, you should absolutely listen to the portfolios, but you're right. Every band is different, and also, you know, if it's a higher-profile band, are they going to get more attention? You want somebody who's going to give... Who's going to give you the attention that you feel your project deserves? And, yeah, and I th I think that that studio was probably a good studio. They just didn't want to put the time into that band, and that's that's right. what wound up happening. Right. Item number five. Talk to your engineer before arriving at the studio. This is a big thing. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, just simply to get get uh, your engineer's idea of what 
how he thinks the session should go or what to expect. And in that conversation, I think a lot of times uh, whoever is recording you or engineering your band, uh, they should probably reach out to you first. So if you haven't heard them ask that question already about like giving you a prep for coming into the studio, then you should reach out to them and say, hey, what should I expect? What should I bring? What do you have available for us to use? Are there guitar amps there? Are there bass amps there? That goes, I have a note here that, that ties perfectly into that. It says, don't rely on anything being at the studio unless it was agreed upon in advance, right? So don't don't show up without a guitar and assume that they're going to have the seven-string, beefy, slinky guitar that <laughs> you wanted to use unless that's been agreed upon, right? So yeah. basically you need to go into it prepared to have your entire signal chain, your entire rig. Uh, that's just it's just a good rule of thumb, right? It's same thing as like for showing up to a show and having your own cables and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Uh, point number six, uh, fine tune your instruments, bring new strings, sticks, drum heads, and other, uh, disposable items. Um, this is such a, such a huge big deal. Um, especially for, I'd say drummers and guitar players. If you don't know how to set up your instrument yourself, then go take it to somebody else who does know what they're doing. Um, Because intonation is such a huge thing on a record. And what intonation is, is uh, fine-tuning the string length so that as you're playing higher on the neck of your guitar, that it is in tune with playing in the lower register of your guitar. Yeah, so like example of bad intonation would be like you tune your open E string and it's in tune, but then you play the twelfth fret and it's sharp. That's bad intonation. Yeah, and it can it can get that bad too. Yeah, and it'll it'll make what'll what'll happen is you, your performances will seem sloppy. They'll seem something will seem off, right? <laughs> something yeah. will seem off about them. Go ahead, keep going. I said bring new strings uh, in, in the article. Uh, it depends on the length of the project. If you're just doing one song, you could put strings on the night before. That's totally fine. Um, but if you can afford it, I would say bring a new pack of strings for each song that you plan on doing. I mean, that might be a little bit excessive, but if you can afford it, you ensure that you have the brightest, most crisp sounding uh, guitar and bass possible that way. I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate on that. Um, okay. The, the problem with new strings is that if you ever strung up your guitar and you tune it and then you get a, a cookie and you come back and it's completely out of tune because those new <laughs> strings need time to stretch out, right? So you got to be really meticulous about stretching your new strings. And I would almost be worried about touch. Like I, I definitely agree with putting on new strings going in, but if I'm going to do all the tracking in one or two days, I might just prefer to keep those strings and keep my, you know, my intonation. I just checked my truss rod. I did all that stuff. I checked my pickup height rather than putting on new strings for every song. Give me some pushback. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair enough. I think you could also, I think at the end of the day, you can maybe base this off of how long your sessions are. Mm. So if you only get a song done a day, maybe just change those guitar strings at night for the next day. All right. Uh, 
the way I came up with this number, I think it is a little bit trickier with guitar because on bass it'll hold that tune a little bit better than guitar will. You know, those the strings on a guitar, like they'll <laughs> they'll they're way more elastic, I feel like, than bass strings. Um mm. But I noticed from playing shows on tour that after about the third show, I would start to lose a lot of my tone. So okay. yeah. I think it anywhere between uh one to three shows which would be about that's anywhere from one to six hours of playing you know what that's a great point because i didn't think about it from that perspective right if you look at it as how many hours of playing until your tone starts to dull and you think about the fact that yeah it might take you two hours to do one song if you're tracking a lot of parts i could see that starting to add up uh pretty quickly yeah. I wonder if there's like a, a string. I wonder if strings have like a notes, notes, like you have, uh, you know, 100,000 100, miles on your car for some warranty. If, if it's like, if you're playing yeah. a lot of notes, if you're really shredding it, <laughs> you yeah. got to change your strings quicker. That, that's something worth mentioning too, because I noticed, I love using uh, this shameless plug here, but Ernie Ball uh, Slinky Cobalts, they sound fantastic but they also die the fastest of any string i've ever tried really they i think it's because it's a steel cobalt alloy and they rust so quickly oh okay and they they just wear out way quicker um so if you're using but you you can't get like a more aggressive tone than that that's why i love it so much um yeah. so it, it's worth it to me to like pay that little bit extra and and deal with changing them more often uh, but if you like the way that maybe elixirs or coated strings sound, they maintain their tone for much, much longer. Yeah, they're also more expensive, but yeah. They're more expensive and the, the tone's way different, so. What, what about for, for drums? What's the assumption for drums when you go into a session? You mentioned bring new drum heads. Yeah, I would say that um, you're definitely going to want to put new new heads on all of your toms and your snare drum mm -hmm. uh just the top head you don't you don't barely ever have to replace the bottom heads uh but i always love to put brand new heads on my drums be mostly because they're way easier to tune that way the thing that i noticed after maybe even after one to th two or three songs like a good day or two of playing drums in the studio and they'll be they'll be hit enough that they, it starts to get really hard to uh, fine-tune them to be to a specific pitch. It's, it, it becomes a little bit more like just a, a dull thud rather than mm -hmm. a nice, pleasant ring to them. Right. Now, I would assume if you're, if you're going into a studio, I would kind of assume that would be on the studio to to do that if, if you're using their kit. But that's another one of those things where it probably makes sense to understand that going in, right? Who's doing what? Yeah. Are you using the snare drums that are there or are you bringing your own snare drums? It's important to have all those discussions up front so that the day of the recording, there's kind of no confusion. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't mention this either, but in a lot of studios, uh, they'll have a studio kit there. Mm -hmm. uh, especially if they're doing recording. And the reason they do that is because the engineer is familiar with it. He knows what he has to do to make it, he or she knows what he has to do to make it sound good. Uh, so they might give you some pushback and say, 
yeah, bring your snare, but I have a kit here that you can use. And if you're comfortable with doing that, that's fine. But it's good to have that conversation of, all right, am I supplying the kit or are you supplying the kit? And and most all the time, you're going to have to bring your own symbols. There's not going to mm. be symbols there for you. Uh, but yeah, also bring sticks that you're comfortable with. I mean, I don't know a drummer that wouldn't bring their own sticks, but just in case, uh, yeah, bring... Uh, know what sticks you like to play, what size, and bring a few extra pairs just in case you break one. Same thing with guitar picks. Yeah, bring a bring a box of guitar picks and just have the ones you like, your brand. <laughs> yep, very true. All right, let's move on to point number seven. Uh, this is very broad, but I just said, vocalist, take care of your voice. So uh, I feel like sometimes this can go overlooked, but your uh, your vocals as a physiological instrument as they are, it requires a little bit extra care than maybe a drummer or a guitarist or a bass player would need. So I think it's important to know the limits of your voice. How long can you, uh, how long can you sing before it starts to go and your takes are not as maybe, uh, they're not of the same quality anymore because only pushing beyond that point, uh, it's just going to hurt your voice more the next day. So if you're doing a multiple, uh, multiple day project, you want to make sure that you pace yourself so that you can make it through the whole project. Yes. Yeah. And there's a couple of things uh, I think we talked about in the recording vocal session, but avoiding dehydration, alcohol, caffeine, salty foods, fettuccine Alfredo, all that <laughs> kind of stuff, avoiding all that before your session will help you get that peak performance. Remember, I mean, what you're recording is is going to be there forever, right? So you want to really yeah. get the best result you can get. Yeah. And there's definitely guides online of like uh, teas to drink or concoctions to make that can help you with um, just lubricating those vocal cords and, mm -hmm. and, and maybe having more longevity in the studio. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a whole chapter on that in my, in my ebook as well. Nice. I'll throw that in. Howtorecordyourband.com. You can check that out. Um, I also, yeah, similar to, so, so for vocalists, definitely, I think what you said also ties back into that having a plan and having a time budget, you know, is like understanding what, when you're going to track vocals, making sure you have enough time, making sure you're not planning on tracking vocals for eight hours straight. Yes. Right. Kind of having that in your in your plan and overall strategy and making sure you've discussed that with whoever's engineering the session is is important. In addition to what you just said too, that's a, such a huge thing to discuss because if you're getting into doing sessions of three songs or longer at one time, uh, maybe your engineer has planned ahead of time, okay, we'll do all the drums first, all the bass, all the guitars, all the vocals, because that's gonna save us the most time. But that might not be, at the end of the day, the way to get the best um, performance out of your band for that same reason that you said. Maybe one of your members is completely gassed and they just can't make it through the second song or the third song. It might be a good idea to cycle through and do each part for each song in that order, even though it will take, it might seem like it's going to take a longer amount of studio time to get that done it might be actual actually better for all the members in your band especially the vocalists so that they don't have to do like a straight three to Everything six hour session yeah so that's a yeah. huge thing to keep in mind and i think 
in particular for vocalists because once a vocalist loses their voice, there's nothing that they can do about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And also, um, I think along those lines, having a backup plan for for going over, let's say you plan for a four-hour recording session, understanding like, okay, if we're up, if it's three and a half hours and we still have more to do, does that mean we're coming back another day? Does that mean we're going to try to extend the session? Um, sometimes, you know, both are options, right? If there's nobody, nothing booked afterwards, you may be able to say, hey, by the way, can we go an extra two hours here? Everything always takes longer than <laughs> than no, we planned does. for, right? Which is kind of a rule of thumb also. Um, so just having kind of having that in the back of your mind, having a time budget and then having a backup plan. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Vadim, but I'm wondering if you have a any guidelines or rule of thumb for how long a session is going to take. Do you ever estimate it out, it out that way or tell b- bands or artists coming in? Unfortunately, I think it depends on how well rehearsed the player is. Yeah. I I do have kind of a rule of thumb and it doesn't always hold because of what you just said, but generally the way that I estimate the amount of time it's going to take is I say one to two hours per instrument part and then I might add another hour or two on top of that for setup time. This is so, per, per song? Per song, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll I'll figure it out this way. And you guys can feel free to steal this from me. Uh if you're trying to figure out, you know, how much time should we book at a studio or anything like that. And I do want to say a large part of this, a large caveat of this is how rehearsed the band is and how difficult your songs are. Cause this is if this is indie rock and the songs are simple and you want a little bit of a loose, groovy feel to it. You might be able to get each person can track their part in maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes to a half an hour. That's definitely doable. But in general, for maybe more complicated parts or parts that maybe need comped or edited a little bit more, uh, I would say, okay, drummer's going to take one to two hours. We need an additional probably hour to two hours to just set up the drum kit, get it all mm-hmm. mic'd up, make sure it's all tuned which seems like an excessive amount of time, four hours, possibly maximum to like record drums to one song. But yeah, it happens I've, more often than not that it it goes towards the four-hour side than the two-hour side. That, that's one of the reasons why I, I typically, when I have people in the studio, and if, if I'm not doing just mixing work, if I'm actually doing the tracking, I'll typically charge by the hour in that case. So I'll Mm. give an estimate. I'll say, you know, plan on, let's plan on doing a five-hour session or whatever, however I come up with that. A lot of times it's based on the either rough recordings or whatever I've gotten to that point. Um, But I'll end up charging by the hour because, again, I want to kind of, in in some sense, encourage people to be well-rehearsed because, I, you know, we could could have a more efficient session that way. That's great. Yeah, so I'll I'll build it out that way, and then I'll say, okay, another hour or two for the bass. for rhythm guitars, it takes twice as long because you need two performances of That's it. That's right. So, That's right. You need a double track. Yep. Yeah. And I normally say like two to three hours for that because it normally doesn't take quite four hours to do maybe all the rhythm parts. But as you can see, as I've added up all the time it takes, like we're getting close to an eight to 10 hour day just for a song. And it happens a lot where it takes like a whole day to just get one song done. And Absolutely. 
Absolutely. With a lot of parts and all those instruments you mentioned, and then vocals on the back end, plus you got to take some breaks. You don't want to burn people out. I could easily see often getting into something like an eight hour day for a song. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think going in with like a generous uh, estimate of time, whether you're recording yourself or having somebody else record to you, it's just going to make the process so much more enjoyable because at the end of the day, this is all about creating something that you love and putting it on into the world. And you don't want the, the process just to be all about like, how cheap can we do this and how fast can we do it? Like <laughs> what's, what's the point in doing that? If you're going to do it at all, it might as well be an enjoyable, great experience. It's Fair worth enough. paying a little bit extra for that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's move on to uh, point eight that I had was maybe a little odd one, but let's talk about this a little bit. Um, I said, figure out who wants to be involved in the writing press process before you start. Uh, the reason I brought this up was because I've been in situations before where, let's say, for me personally, I've brought, in, I've brought songs into a writing space or to a band and all of a sudden we start writing, we start throwing ideas out there and the song transforms into something that I don't like anymore <laughs> or <laughs> that I or that I never intended for it to go. And in this circ in this situation I really had a strong idea of what I wanted the song to sound like. Uh as opposed to just saying, "Hey, I've got this riff idea, let's just write around it." Right. So I think it's important before going into those situations and, and you decide to write together, uh, it's just important to figure out the ground rules before getting into that messy environment of, all right, do we want to say that whoever brings the song idea has the final say or does our vocalist have the final say because they have to write the, the, the lyrics to go over top of it? Or if I'm a singer-songwriter and this is my project, maybe it's only my songs and I have the only say because I'm fronting all the money for it. Like These are all important things because I've seen all kinds of situations where, uh, especially interesting ones where maybe a singer-songwriter or the band leader, they just want to bring their friends along and they want them to feel included. And so they give them maybe more power than they should. And... Mm. You just have to think about at the end of the day what what is actually truly fair and just to make sure that you're not giving up maybe more freedom in that writing process than you want to. Anything yeah. to add to that? I haven't really run into that as much. I, I know you're um, speaking a little bit from, from personal experience and things you've seen. I, I guess I would just say that the studio, the day of the recording is probably not the time to hash those things out. So... You want to try to have them hashed out in advance, or if not, then you want to say, well, we'll talk about that later. Because the, the day of, you really just want to maximize your efficiency and your creativity. Right? Yeah. And anything that's going to be drama-related like that is probably probably going to detract <laughs> from the experience and possibly from the, from the finished result. Point number nine I had was bring references. So uh, let's say that you want your album to sound really vintage and in maybe this specific vibe and you go into the studio and into a studio situation and you never tell the person who's recording you uh that that's kind of what you're going for then you might wind up being disappointed on the other end and thinking why don't we sound like this this uh project or this idea that we had in our head i, I think maybe i don't I haven't seen this situation happen but 
I just had a funny idea pop into my head where maybe an, uh, a band wants a more indie sound, but all the guitar players bring in Mesa dual rectifiers. <laughs> so it's just, uh, it's just not going to happen. And, and I think that's an important thing to, bro, uh, to bring up because you might not know what you don't know. So especially if you're just starting out recording, uh, you might not know all the things that you need to know to get those sounds, but oftentimes the engineer that you pick is going to have a better idea than you, especially if you trust them uh, as a source of knowledge that knows more than you do about the recording process. That's the reason why you're going to them in the first place. Absolutely. And I think that that goes along with, you know, having the conversation in advance. If that, that communicate, we talk a lot about that communication and sometimes you may not be able to kind of verbalize exactly what you want, but having a reference is a great way to do that. It's like, oh, I really like this vocal sound. I don't know what it is about it, but I really like it. And giving that kind of reference to an engineer, whether it's your the person who's doing the recording or the person doing the mixing, they'll they'll know if they're if they're good at their craft, they'll know how to get that sound that that you're going for. Awesome. Yeah. And then the last point that I had on my list was stay positive and have fun. <laughs> Simple enough, but having fun in the studio and having a good time can just go such a, a long way. And I think it can actually make its way into the music itself and the performances. Totally. Versus totally. being a nervous ball of energy. So yeah, at the end of the day, I would just say, just make sure that it's a fun time. You know, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be full of stress. A little bit of stress is healthy. A little just bit a little stress, bit performance yeah. stress, but yeah. it, 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 you should have a good vibe about it. I got I got two other very quick very very trivial but non-trivial things. One is don't be hungry. <laughs> Go, oh, yes. Don't be hungry. That's being hungry. I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I don't even realize it until after I've eaten, but I just become a I just become a different person and I just get yeah. frustrated and I start getting mad at myself when I'm trying to track. So, don't be hungry. And the other thing is be clean. Because studios, like my studios, is a, is a smaller space, especially around the control room where I, where I mix. So if I have to sit next to somebody and if they're not clean or I'm not clean, it's just, it just makes for a worse day. <laughs> it's not as much fun. That is so well said. Uh, I felt like we talked a lot from the recording artist going into a studio perspective. Do we want to touch at all on the, the opposite? Yeah, absolutely. From the, from the engineer's perspective, and again, because yeah. it's a DIY recording podcast, a lot of you listening are going to be the engineers. A lot of these things are actually similar, right? It's it's be prepared to have people in your space. If you're if you have guitars, they should be tuned and they should have new strings. You know, assume that somebody's going to need to use your instruments. Uh, kind of be over prepared. So mm -hmm. have that, the same thing is have a tracking plan. So we talked in the workflow episode about setting up your templates. So if you know you're having a band come in and they have, you know, they're recording drums, you should know what drum mics you're going to use and have your session set up, have all your inputs and outputs labeled and routed, have your mics tested, have your cables tested. I actually, I have this like really fancy monster cable and... Actually, the very first podcast we were recording, I hooked it up to my mic. I was like, I'll use my really nice monster cable. It turned out to be a bad cable. It was a lot oh of noise. Gosh. 
And luckily, because it was the first episode and I was so nervous, I did this <laughs> like an hour or two in advance. And at the troubleshoot, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much noise. This is terrible. And it turned out to be a bad cable. You don't want to hmm. be fleshing that stuff out when you have four musicians sitting there kind of looking at their their watches, right? Yeah. So have that, having that stuff set up in advance is definitely huge. And having that uh, tracking sheet and checklist on your end, making sure that it's really your job to make sure you capture everything that the band wants captured. Yeah. I actually have a cool quote here. Do you, do you subscribe to Tape Op? No, I don't. It's, a, it's a cool magazine. It's, um, it's, they just basically have different gear reviews and like interviews with different producers and things. And there's an interview here with Ebony Smith, and she is the, she is the engineer for Atlantic Records. There's this really great quote. This is in the last uh, Tape Op episode I want to read. Um, the question was, do you have any tips on how to get to how to keep the creative flow going in the studio? And she says, I'm not the type of engineer. Uh, I'm skipping some of it, but quote, I'm not the type of engineer who arrives with the artist. I usually request at least two hours before just to make sure that the studio is properly set up. I like to ensure that all the headphones are working. All the mics are up. There are no technical difficulties with any of the issues in the live room, making sure that all the cables are checked out, making sure that all the instruments sound as they should sound, making sure the guitars are properly teched and the drums are tuned to taste, at least to give the drummer a starting point. And she goes on through a couple of other instruments. And then she says, for me, that helps with the flow because artists can get in and not think about anything. As soon as they go in and start noodling on the instruments, I'm already recording. Right? So... Mm. She talks a lot in, in the rest of the interview. She also talks about how during the session, the engineer's job is to kind of make the technology as invisible as possible, hmm. right? So the artists don't have to think about that and they don't have to watch you dig around your rat's nest of cables and back. And <laughs> It's so interesting because I completely agree with everything that you said, but there's a, a very practical reason why this is true. And it's that the part of your brain that does the thinking is not the same side of your brain that does the the creative parts mm. and so anytime you have to take your brain out of creativity mode you're you're hampering your creative energy because one side of your brain switches off and another side turns on so the more you can keep yourself in that flow state creative flow state the better your sessions are going to be and i think that our listeners and us for that matter we can hack that to our to our advantage and so Anything from templates or just having uh, your workspace set up in a very uh, a very easy to use um, workflow is just going to make everything so much easier. That's why, like, even in my like little studio space that I'm recording out of right now, I have my keyboard and my keyboards and guitars like within an arm's length away, so that I can lay down anything I could possibly want without mm -hmm. having to think about it. It's it's such a huge deal because as soon as you start looking for something, where did I put that microphone? Like, It just puts you in a bad mood. It just completely kills any vibe you have. Absolutely. I've heard that similar sentiment elsewhere as well, where people say like, a lot of times I like to keep my studio clean, so I like to put my microphones away and all that. But if you are sitting around noodling and you hear something great, you don't want to be like, hold on, let me let me find that SM57 and set it up. You know, you want to be ready to go and just be able to record everything kind of naturally as it comes up. So yeah. I definitely agree with you there. Um, I also said have a plan for punching in. 
right? So this may be artist dependent, but you got to think about, you talked about uh, in the workflow episode as well, I really liked what you said about this problem that can come up where if you play through the whole song 10 times and there's a tricky part in that song, then the artist might make a mistake on the same part. Yeah. Uh, you need you need to have kind of a plan in place for how you're going to attack those types of situations. So do you want to break it up and say, okay, we're going to do this song part by part until we get all the parts that we like, or just have a punch in plan where you say, we're going to play it through and then I need to punch in this one part. In particular, what I like to do is when I set up my tracks in my DAW, I like to have a kind of a B track, let's say. So I can be recording my vocals on one track and then have a second track set up so that I can use that for punching in and doing other things. I like to have that set up in advance so I can kind of move really quickly um, around the session. I also said uh, have snacks and have drinks if you allow food in your studio space. Um, But that again goes to the point of don't be hungry, right? Is um, having those little amenities for the people coming into your space can be can be really nice, you know, is make sure they know where the where the bathroom is, make sure they have fresh water available. Um, that's going to make them more comfortable and, again, just make the, make the session go more smoothly. The best decision I ever made was when I first started uh, recording drums, I was doing it on the first floor of my house. Mm-hmm. And we could get through it, but it kind of ensured that anybody else in the house couldn't do anything except... <laughs> listen to the listen to not just the sound of drums but the sound of drums being tracked which is isn't as nearly in, enjoyable <laughs> and what i did was i moved my drum tracking area to my basement so i still have my um my mixing and and recording room is upstairs but i have a snake running into my basement and so that isolates the drums and so the rest of my band members they can just hang out upstairs play PlayStation or watch TV. And so they have something to do while me and the drummer are working through things and vice versa. Are you downstairs for the, when you're tracking drums? Are you d- down in the basement with the drummer? I mean, I could be. I've done I've done both where I'm downstairs with the drummer. Um, I more do that, I think, if I only have to do drums or if I'm only tracking the drummer. Then I'll just stay down there with him. But otherwise... I'm just communicating uh, all through uh, talkback mics. Yeah. So, and I do recommend sometimes too, this is another big thing. I can't believe we forgot to talk about this, but I always recommend to musicians and artists to bring their own set of in-ear monitors if they have them. Great point. That's such a huge deal because uh, for one, you're, you're comfortable and familiar with them and they can do they can isolate and block out noise a lot better than just over-ear headphones like we're wearing. Yeah, if you're not familiar with in-ear monitors, are sometimes called IEMs. They basically look like an earplug, uh, so you can like roll them up and insert them into your ear canal, and they get excellent isolation of uh, kind of outside sound. So they kind of act as an earplug, but they also are a headphone. Um, so we've talked about the, the on I think the gear episode the like Shure SC215s. Um, and they're wonderful for tracking loud stuff because they're so good at isolating outside noise. And what I like to do actually from an engineering standpoint is have a bunch of the um, like the earpieces. You can buy them in packs. I like to have a bunch of clean new earpieces. Um, so if an artist, if we're doing something loud where that sound isolation is important and they don't have their own IEMs, I will offer them 
um, cleaner pieces and they can use some of the sets that I have. That's a great idea. I'm going to do the same thing. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, that I think that's everything I had. Did you have anything else that you wanted to? No, that's pretty much what I had. Thanks for joining us. And until next week, this is the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support See you next week.